Hi everyone, uh, this is David and I have Avi with me. We've uh, jumped back uh, onto the podcast just a couple of days before this episode goes live because we wanted to address a couple of bits of news um, that we haven't had the opportunity to talk about yet, but we wanted to do so in a timely fashion. Uh, the first piece of news actually broke last Thursday, so right when the last episode of this podcast was pretty much wrapped up and ready to go. That was that uh, episode one of The Revival, My Struggle, is actually going to be screened several months ahead of its TV debut at New York Comic Con on October 10th. And the second piece of news uh, actually broke today on The Hollywood Reporter, and already a lot of people have been talking about it. Basically, it's just some comments about Chris explaining why um, he decided that Mulder and Scully would be estranged at the start of the six-episode revival. Uh, I've asked Avi to come on and just record this little extra bit today, just because there's been a lot of uproar amongst some sections of the fans. And we just wanted to basically reassure everybody, you know, and just tell everybody to calm down a little bit, basically. <laughs> so, Avi, if you want to jump in and give it a bit more context. Yeah, as you said, there's going to be a screening, which is the U.S. premiere at New York Comic Con. And the reason why this is the U.S. premiere and not the world premiere, it's because the actual world premiere of the show will happen at Cannes at MIPCON, where it's not a thing where everyone would attend. It's, it's for industry professionals and people from the media. Professional critics will get to see this before anyone else does, besides the people in the studio, obviously, that have already seen it. Um, and then there's the U.S. premiere, which will happen at New York Comic Con in the panel that happens on Saturday 10th. Um, a lot of the fandom is upset because, obviously, a subsection of a type of fandom will get to see this episode first. And, yeah, I can agree to that. It's a very unfair situation, and, it, and it's even more unfair that I'm saying it when I get to go. And then there's something that people actually don't or didn't include in the conversation about, oh, let's watch this all together, is that the show is going to premiere in television in the U.S. and Canada in January 24th. But right now, there's no confirmation other than a couple of negotiations in Europe that that's going to be the case in any other country. So claiming that, you know, that was the scenario in January in comparison with premiering it in, you know, any other part of the world at any other date, it's not the case. We're going to have to live with this reality that it's not the end of the world at, at the end of the day. I mean, yeah, there will be the chance of spoilers being out there, and there will be spoilers because obviously there's going to be reviews about the, the episode. Uh, People that are lucky enough to go to New York, then obviously they get to see it, but then they have to wait several months before they get to see the second episode. So yeah, it's that's a work. situation I wouldn't be in. I mean, obviously I'm not going to go to New York because my podcast in Arch Nemesis is going to be there interviewing David and Chris. So, you know, I have to stay away. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> We're going to keep doing these podcasts. You know, there's going to be some extremely lucky people uh, like Avi who do get to see it and who are going to probably irritate me on a weekly basis after they have seen it. But we're not going to have any spoilers on that. I might get them to do a general thumbs up, thumbs down kind of thing. And I imagine it's going to be two thumbs up from everybody. But that's all we're going to talk about. We're not going to 
discuss yeah. any specifics of the screening on this podcast. So, you know, I just call out a little bit to the fans to calm down a little bit, to be cordial, to remember that, you know, this is the people that actually built the show for a year. This is not new people. This is not people that suddenly forgot what they wrote. Uh, they still know what they're writing and they're still rooting towards what they love to do. Which, um, which brings us to um, Chris Carter's comments in The Hollywood Reporter, which yeah. it, it sounds to me that it's pretty much just the way that he has always talked when discussing how yeah. to break story and how certain things can work and, and lend themselves to storytelling. And I'm guessing that some people have completely taken them out of context on social yeah, media. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, to, it's hard to explain story within uh, an article that it's not meant to, to go that deep into explaining what the writing process is. Hearing that your favorite couple, it's broken up, it's kind of hurtful, and that, you know, um, there's a lot of emotional investment in this story, but he's just talking about that first episode, of that first frame whenever we land on this life. What happens after that, there's a lot to be talked about a lot to develop there's even a there's even a time jump within this six episodes that no one is addressing so you know it's and and it's not the end of the world i mean right now even they're starting to talk about a possible season 11 and the fact that these screenings are happening it's even you know more supportive of that you know, rumor going on back and forth that the studio is confident enough right now to even, you know, contemplate having, yeah. you know. Fox could have easily just put it on TV over the Christmas period or something when all the other shows went on hiatus and there was nothing there. But, you know, they seem to be backing it all the way. You know, they're putting it on after a big football game, the premiere episode. Yeah. They have two nights in a row where they'll be showing the, showing the show. They're now doing all of this um, publicity and marketing and okay great it may not be the most fan-friendly way that they're going about it but at the end of the day it is a tv show it is a product and yeah they're getting attention for it and all the signs are positive that they are behind this which is a good thing because then there might be more x-files in another couple of years or something yeah the moment that we get confrontational and you know very you know fighting amongst each other and bullying people and all this stuff it's not going to help anyone because it's going to put everyone in a bad mood and this should be a time to celebrate that we're getting what we wanted so yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Everyone just be nice to each other. Calm down. At the end of the day, you know, X, you know this podcast is called X-Files Talk X-Files because the X-Files community has always been that. It's been a community of like-minded people who've got together over the love of a show. And it survived as long as it has because of that. As the internet and technology has advanced, you know, the community has evolved. But at at its core, it's always been a bunch of people who love these characters and who love this show. So now is not the time on the eve of the revival to start bashing each other or bashing people behind the show, whether it's creatives or on the business side. Let's all just take a chill pill and let's just get to January and enjoy this thing. Yeah. So Here, here. <laughs> enough of that. Um, let's wrap this bit up and uh, we'll start the podcasts proper. <laughs> the longest podcast ever. <laughs>
UFOs and flying saucers and ETs and government conspiracies, but I've seen none of the above. If I did, I think I probably would run a million miles, lose my little mind. Hello, 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 and welcome along to another episode of X Files Talk X Files. The only podcast that is... <coughs> Excuse me, I must have a parasite stuck in my throat. Hi everybody, I'm David Howard and uh, I have Adi Kihara and Tiffany Duvall uh, back on the podcast. Hi both of you. Hello. And Hello. This is nice and cyclical because we're finishing up season five about to... Uh, break to the movie next week and uh, we recorded the first few of these podcasts together so it's nice to have the original gang back ah full circle Uh yeah (laughs) so we have got a lot of stuff to get through tonight uh the episodes we're going to cover today are travelers through to the end so we are finishing up all of season five um but first we have our new feature we've done it for the last few weeks and i want to try and keep it up um Every week from now on, we have a listener question. And uh, I actually put out a tweet today, and you guys retweeted it, um, asking for some listener questions. It had a nice picture of Mulder and Scully in their underwear. So if you haven't seen that on Twitter, go back to uh, my feed from September 3rd and have a look at that. Check it out. (laughs) It's an awesome picture. I haven't seen it before today. So (laughs) it got shared quite a bit. Um, okay, so today's question comes from at Drew Smith 1985, and his question is a simple best quote. Uh, I have this is a horrible question to ask me. I have so many. The entire series is full of favorite quotes for me. Um, but I, I have one I can zero in on mainly because I have the episode tattooed on my wrist. So I'm gonna go with Amor Fati, and uh, I would say my favorite quote is. The scene where Scully is in front of uh, Mulder's apartment door, of course, after she has rescued him, and all those flails that we'll talk about later in a podcast on season seven. And uh, so where he says to her uh, that, you know, his world was unrecognizable and upside down. There was one thing that remained the same. And he says, you were my friend, and you told me the truth. Even when my world was falling apart, you were my constant, my touchstone. And then, of course, she does the whole, you are mine and it just, yeah, that's just my, it's, I love it so much. Snog. Yeah, the, the forehead snog, and then the lip touch, man, she just, she rubs those thumbs, like, all sensual down his lips, and then oh she, she just, she turns heel and just walks down the hallway. I'm just like, oh, damn, that's just, mm. yeah, that's mine. Are you getting me a moment now? I'm having a moment. I'm like, I'm sitting in front of Netflix because I was watching these episodes earlier and I'm like, oh, I should totally watch this after we're done. (laughs) Disturbing, you know. Avi, best quote. So, I mean, you said best quote, and I I totally know that he probably means that it's the best quote of the show. And I do just like Tiffany have a very hard time make it up my mind what the best line or quote from the show is um because i am i found another one years ago that actually fits 
encompasses everything that happens in the show a lot better. And there's a, a quote from Frank Spotness. I knew it. Um, I knew it. <laughs> the second you started talking, I was like, oh, I bet I know so, which one. Go ahead. So, yeah, I, I mean, we actually had it. Um, it happened for us during an interview, but it also... Yeah. Um, he he went and complimented it uh, with something that he had said before in in an interview somewhere else. Um, and then the first part of it goes um, when trying to you know find the purpose of Mulder's quest. It was you know, because Mulder is like looking for the truth all the time and like, you know, that's forever going to be his objective. And the thing is that for Frank, he's, he had said like, you can't get the truth because you can't. There's a larger truth though, that you can harness the forces of the cosmos, but you may find somebody else. You may find another human being that may be kind of corny and all, that but that's really it love is the only truth that we can hope to know as human beings and that's what Mulder and Scully found after nine years and that's a lot so I thought back in the day when we interviewed Frank I have and and he he went in and you know just like tossed that on us you know kind of like with all this epicness um and um and I I fail to find right now the the rest of that quote because he gave another part of it. Um, but the truth is that I feel like that quote for me has a, has a lot more meaning than whatever actually I may just like snip it out of the show because these quotes from the show just and even when when Tiffany's example it's like so perfect about the description of their own relationship at the time um the real you know thing that was behind it it's, it's exactly this and they, at the end of the day they actually found each other despite of what chris carter made you in the revival uh, but you know it, th that was pretty much you know what the gist of it all was is that you know you know, they found love in each other. They found truth in this love that they have for each other. Whichever, you know, that, that truth changes and, and, and transforms. And so, yeah, that's yeah. that's my favorite quote. I knew okay. it. <laughs> I, I, I think I've already revealed my favorite quote on the show. In fact, I know I have. Do it again. But I, I was trying to think, okay... Maybe there's something that I miss. Maybe there's a, a really good one-liner in there that I can just throw out. And there are a bunch of good lines throughout the show. There's you know some really good zingers in there that Mulder or Scully or somebody throws out. There's a bunch of stuff that Krychek says. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I've said before some of the, the great one-liners that Skinner has, his wonderful metaphors. But uh, my absolute favorite quote throughout the history of the show, and it's official... Go back and listen to the earlier podcast when I talk about this in a bit more detail, but it, it's Skinner's speech in one breath when he talks about his um, near-death experience in Vietnam. I just think that's such a powerful speech, and I think it really does underscore a lot of, you know, um, what drives Mulder on his quest. And 
just the last line of his speech is, I'm afraid to look any further beyond that experience. You, you are not. And I just, I just love that speech. Go back and listen to the One Breath episode, because yeah. I talk about it a bit more there. And I think I try and recite the whole thing, putting in uh, <laughs> Mitch's uh, <laughs> nuances of delivery. But uh, that, that's mine, I think. Yeah, that's a good one. I, f- I found the rest of that other quote. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to come and pass reading it, but that's, this is how it continued, is that I really believe that. I believe that about the X-Files, and I believe that about life. I really believe that that's the most important reality. But I don't think of love as some kind of greeting card sentiment. Love has to be fierce. It has to be strong. It has to be worthy of being tested and endured in battle. It's not this flowery limp thing kind of thing that so many people imagine it to be. It's If it's going to stand up to all the forces that are a rage against it, it takes a lot of strength and courage. And I think that's what Mulder and Scully had. Yeah, when he... He actually, that last part of the quote she's reading, he said that to us in an interview with XFN, and Avi and I were both on the phone. And when he... I, I remember, and I know you do too, Avi, when he said it, to the to the two of us, lit, I mean, like my heart just nearly stopped. It was the most, and it was one of our earlier interviews with him too. And yeah. it it was so hard not to want to like climb into the computer, like into <laughs> into the conversation, and it was unreal. I mean, we couldn't even believe that this person who had written so much of this show. And we're hearing his words, but it it sounds like the X Files, you know. I mean, he he's speaking it to us, but it sounds like something we're hearing in the show. Yeah, yeah. it was the it was the most incredible thing. It's still one of the most incredible things I think we've ever heard in an interview, if if not the most. I mean, that's still as Abby was reading it, I'm like lip reciting it as she's going. <laughs> I mean that's that's how much we actually remember what this guy said. Yeah, I think I mean yeah. there's also like things that Chris Carter has said and said like for for instance when they did the twentieth anniversary thing uh-huh. um yeah. about the show and whenever Fox turned twenty five. Mm-hmm. Um that are really important too about you know saying the truth, the secret behind the X Files is that you know Scully loves Mulder and Mulder like loves Scully, loves Scully. Um, yeah. but I don't think and and in conjecture with whatever Jillian says that you know that it was that longing between them and all that stuff that made it special. I don't think that anyone has really gone this much in depth about their relationship, and it doesn't even have to be romantic love per se. I mean, you can yeah. have this, uh, this quote describe, you know, just partnership love, just, just you know, kind of like soulmates love and still not be romantic love for those that do not believe that these two people should be together. Um, but I, I feel like that's the one quote that actually just nails it. Oh, and, yeah. 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 Frank, Frank very much is the soul of, you know, when he's talking and talking in interviews and, and when people read the words that he's, that he writes, he very much is kind of a, a big part of the soul of the show. And so to, to read some of his interviews and actually hear some of that, 
you know, when he's when he's talking about it, is really an incredible thing to to actually hear. So I I approve of that quote. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I approve of yours too, unicorn. Yay! <laughs> David's like throwing up in the corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad we didn't. I'm just glad Milagro didn't come up. Just, just wait till Milagro. It's coming. I'm telling you. Abby and I are yep. both booking ourselves for that one. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I, I might be sick that week. <laughs> <laughs> He'll accidentally okay. leave it off the schedule. Well, that okay. That's a a good segue into the first episode that we're talking about tonight, Travelers, which is. Uh, Sort of like the prehistory of the X Files. It's um, mm-hmm. we see when Mulder discovered them for the first time, and we also take a trip down memory lane to uh, I think it's the early fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, is it nineteen fifty one, where um, the X Files officially sort of become a thing, and we see um, Darren McGavin's uh, younger self sort of uh, learning about the X Files through the prism of the McCarthy communist witch hunts. Um, but let's talk about the the nineteen the nineteen ninety one sort of area, or the the nineteen ninety one era of that episode because Mulder is smoking and he has his wedding ring on again. Uh-huh. Yeah. What do you think about that, Tiffany? <laughs> um, it's it's a part of the show that I conveniently forget about from time to time. <laughs> That's why I like to bring I, it up to remember. Uh, to remind you. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, obviously Mulder has, we'll talk about this more when we get to the end. Obviously Mulder has a history before Scully. Um, I think this was really a tease for what was coming in the end. So, you know, I, I I remember being super shocked when I saw it. (laughs) I was just like, what the hell is that? We talked about, um, the unusual suspects though earlier on and he has the wedding ring on there as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think, you know, I'm, I mean, I don't actually forget about about the presence of this wedding ring or, like, the fact that he smokes. And I was reading today about the episode, um, and it actually makes a lot of sense if you consider that, well, one, it, this was the life before the exiles, mm-hmm. uh, and two, you know, he's supposed to be the smoking man's son. Well, Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, kind of a little bit on the nose character building, but at the same time, you know, it might not be something that he learned from his father, but it's always, you know, kind of lingering there, your genes, you know, this and the other. But at the same time, you know, it does it it's it's a molder that just came out of a very dark moment in his career, uh, you know, having had face Monty props and, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's a different kind of Mulder. And it, this is not to say that, you know, 1993 Mulder was, you know, <laughs> just rainbows and glitter, <laughs> but... I mean, it 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 probably I don't I, I don't know if he had evolved to see his failure, quote unquote, um, you know, to be more on the sarcastic side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was just basically making fun of himself by then. 
Um, but I, I feel like this is a completely accurate, you know, emotional moment for him. Um, and it also, I, I really love this episode because uh, there, I mean, back in the day, I kind of, I feel like I didn't appreciate it as much as I do right now, but, yeah, I yeah. but, but like thinking about it today and, and seeing a little bit of it today, I thought, you know, this would have been with so much talk that it was before that was decided what was going to happen with the revival. Whenever there were talks about, you know, being a prequel of the X-Files and still there could be a prequel of the X-Files. This would be so interesting, especially because we've been seeing nowadays things like Agent Carter and uh, all these kind of like nostalgia kind of feel. Yeah. About I always thought that Arthur Dale's th- prequel would be so cool. You know, I always thought yeah. that would be super neat. Yeah, and I shared the, the same sort of um, thoughts on this episode as you guys, that when it first came out, it's kind of like, really, come on, this is one of the shortest seasons that we've ever had of the X-Files, and you've got an episode where Mulder, a second episode where Mulder and Scully are hardly in it at all, Scully yeah, isn't I, in it again. I remember thinking that too, but then now looking back, my part of my favorite part of the episode that I, you know, of course, barely remember because it's been a while since I've seen this one again. But I like that Mulder thinks that Bill Mulder, his dad, is involved in the cover-up part of this episode. And then, you know, so he he's trying to figure out, you know, how much was his dad involved. But then he just, you know, at the end, of course, you realize that his dad is actually the one that, you know, in, ends up freeing the guy. So... I, that part of it I think is neat because we talk about how Mulder's smoking and obviously he doesn't know that Cancer Man is his dad yet and yeah. uh, you know thinking his dad is part of this whole thing and even though he's not biologically biologically related to Bill Mulder clearly how he was raised by Bill Mulder has shaped the man that Mulder ends up becoming so that I, looking back at it from that lens I think wow Travelers was really you know, a great episode, not just for the history of, you know, how the X-Files kind of came to be. And I like how the, the is it the secretary or whatever that files all the, the unexplained mm-hmm. cases under X because there's the most there's room there. Room. Yeah. yeah. So I, I like how it kind of gives you this backstory into how the X-Files kind of came to be. And of course, Arthur Dales when he was younger. Um, and then, you know, kind of looking at where Mulder is at in, you know, 1991, so. Yeah, I think, you know, this is one of those episodes that probably has grown on most fans over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, it's like, we just want Mulder and Scully, but yeah. looking back on it, it, it's good, you know, just because you kind of get that sense of the X-Files opening. It's a really good story, and it's very well told, but it also then deals with that time in history, which is... You know, up to this point, most of the X-Files has been sort of fixated on that Watergate era because that's when yeah. Chris Carter was growing up and the whole distrust of the government, you know, is part of the fabric of the X-Files. But this goes back to a whole other era of American yeah. history with the communist witch hunts. And, yeah, it's just nice to have these sort of 50s sort of um, nostalgia as you said you know the, the different yeah. sort of touch points um the cultural sort of things in there you know where they just go and they have a drink in the bar after work and people can just call them up at the bar because they know that they're going to be there and you have the you know the nuclear bunkers in everybody's backyard and stuff and <laughs> mm-hmm. 
it's just I guess it, it just sort of layers another sort of level of paranoia from you know a different time you know yeah so the next episode we have is Mind's Eye, and uh, Tiffany says that she can sum this up pretty succinctly, so go for it. I mean, <laughs> blind woman who sees... Basically, blind woman who, like, sees murders ends up surprised killing her dad in the end. That's really, like... It's not the most poetic description, but... No, (laughs) no, it's not. It's not. I remember when I was researching the episodes for tonight, I was like, mind's eye, what was my... You know, obviously it's about what this woman has seen in her mind's eye, but um, it's... I mean, it's cool, and then it's... Obviously, it sets up Mulder and Scully to be at odds, because Mulder believes that the blind woman couldn't possibly have killed the people, even though she knows everything about the crime scenes and her fingerprints are on things, and Scully is... You know, it's just kind of like, you're insane. I mean, she not only does she describe all the murders, but her prints are at the scene. And, you know, Scully, of course, thinks she isn't really blind. So they go through the whole, you know, let's test her and all this stuff. And, of course, everything is proving Mulder's theory correctly. Um, and then probably the, the, I don't know how much of a surprise twist it was that it ends up being her dad in the end. I don't remember being too shocked by that, actually, when I saw it the first time. Um, I remember thinking, oh, okay. Almost like it was kind of leading you to that conclusion. Maybe a little too hard. Maybe it wasn't. Of course, I'm looking back on it. But, um, yeah, that's pretty much mind's eye for me in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a decent episode. Um, I think I remember somebody on one of these earlier podcasts saying that they really liked it. And it's not bad. It's not great for me. It's kind of like one of those middling sort of episodes you know it's kind yeah. of like the the halfway point you know is, is it better or worse than mind's eye it's a very good episode to sort of put right there in the middle when you're ranking all right. of the episodes i think yeah. um yeah this well, is this it is a has... decent story it's it's yeah. a solid x-file but there's nothing about it which is really like oh yeah that's on my favorite list well it has such good episodes after it that it makes it you know, it's like when you're looking at season five and you hit from all souls down, you know, forward towards the end. There's, I mean, they're such good episodes. So Mind's Eye kind of isn't one that pops out in season five. And not necessarily that it's not an okay episode, but I think part of it maybe is, is that, and a, probably a bigger part of it is that there are other episodes that came before or after it that are just really good. Yeah, yeah. There's that nice little um, the polygraph test scene, mm-hmm. kind of nice and kind of harks back to Tombs, where Mulder is asking some sort of question to get a reaction, and yeah, you know, it's almost you know beat for beat, kind of like that scene. But uh, it's a good episode. I feel, I feel it's not like a great also episode. the fact that you know um, Lily Taylor is such a great actress too. That yeah, you know, yeah. It, was just, it was just you know. I might not have been on the page such a great episode, but she also made it better. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's just like you guys said, it's like a, it's a decent X file and it's, it, it holds its weight for a little bit. Um, for me, it was, you know, it just whenever I think of it, my, my I, I just had a niece just a few months ago. So, like, you know, the preparation for her coming to the world was, was like, you couldn't 
you, you can scream around my sister-in-law. I mean, she has to eat those number of things, and she shouldn't be doing a number of that. And it's and and then you have this person that apparently you know has this link because all of this happened while her mother was pregnant with her, right. and it's kind of like well, how much of a discussion do we want to get into this? Because then you might go and delve into the discussion of when do you actually are aware. And if you were aware, then you were a person back then. And so, you know, so are you a person then? Yeah. Even when you're not born yet? And how, you know, and how does it carry and translate to you uh, after all this time? So uh, for me, it was more of the afterthought discussion of what certain you know, elements of the episode meant more than what had actually happened on the episode. That's very interesting. That, that just yeah. got, uh, yeah, that went in an interesting direction there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, it was, it was more sort of that it was a connection between her and her father, not necessarily because he had killed her mother, but uh, more that it was sort of connection between them. It's sort of along the same a sort genetic. of lines that we have in um, Paper Hearts. Mm-hmm. Where Mulder has the that sort of psychic connection almost with um, John Lee Roach. Yeah, it, it, to me it's kind of like that sort of connection, but I think in mind's eye it's maybe magnified more because obviously you have that visual element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's how I always took it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so oh, that was quick. <laughs> so it's all. Um, I guess it's uphill then from Mind's Eye onto All Souls. All Souls, yeah. Which um, I always really liked this episode in the rewatch. Maybe I was just watching it too late at night or whatever. I didn't engage with it as much as I have in the past, but it's another solid entry in the um, in sort of Scully and her religion uh, mm-hmm. sort of category. And also we have the all of the aspects of Emily coming in here as well. Yeah. So I figured that you two would probably have a lot to talk about for this episode. <laughs> I I don't have a ton for All Souls. I have I have way more for episodes after this. But for All Souls, I, I do like that um, part of it's probably because I, I was raised Catholic. So the imagery is very uh, familiar. So, you know, I, I like the fact that... Um, that the four girls were based were sisters, and that uh, you know the idea that of course the seraph, who was you know the I'm gonna mess like up all of my religious education right now, but um, <laughs> that there's some was, nuns with rulers waiting outside. <laughs> yeah, right. I know, right. I'm gonna get my knuckles wrapped. Um, but basically, that you know they the legend or I guess the belief is that the seraph has four children. And uh, he has to come back to Earth to collect the children to take them back to heaven so that the, the devil can't take their souls. And so these four girls, the idea is that the reason why they're being killed is because actually their souls are being you know, taken to heaven. Uh, and of course Mulder and Scully, I guess, think that it's one priest, but actually it turns out to be the, the other. Like one priest is actually trying to protect them and then... The one that they least expect is the bad guy, you know. Ends Isn't up that actually, always the way? Yeah, ends up being a <laughs> demon. 
Um, of course, the imagery where Scully sees Emily is very powerful. And probably the most powerful part of the episode is that scene. Because Scully, who is an FBI agent, she's sworn to uphold the law and, and protect the innocent. And in that vision where she lets go of Emily's hand, she's, you know, she's letting go of the girl's hand who then is taken, now granted it's before the, the devil can get her soul, but she's still, like, the girl dies. You know, Scully lets go of her, and the girl's taken by the angel to heaven. So she's she's dead. And then, of course, you know, the devil can end up getting her soul. So it's an interesting kind of dynamic of Scully being the protector, and in her religious life she succeeds, but certainly in her physical life, she's kind of handed over this girl to her death. Maybe that's like a really negative way of looking <laughs> at what happened, but it's it's interesting to me that, you know, that she, and she kind of struggles with that later on in Horizon. She struggles with kind of the same thing, like what what's at work in her, you know, when she when she ends up doing something. So, I don't know, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's more about her, I guess, having that sense of release which is yeah. something that gets revisited later on in the show with Mulder mm-hmm. and Samantha and then with Doggett and his son yeah. um, uh, that, that's kind of what they're sort of aiming at here rather than I guess any sort of legal <laughs> or any sort of deeper argument you know any sort of deeper topics because you could right. you, know, it, you know you could extend that and explore something like euthanasia or something but Sure. It's more just about, I guess, her get you know, releasing Emily and sort of getting yeah. over in it. And uh, if some other little girl has to die, I guess, to help her get over yeah. it, then... Well, you know, she, she releases Emily, and then, you know, later she releases William. So I guess she's perfected the whole release thing over the years. <laughs> well, has she really, though? I mean, we get so little insight into like what she yeah. really does well you know to... because then then you have sunshine days and it's kind of like what sorry we'll, we'll get to that later you actually have the episode called release in between william and sunshine days yeah so yeah well season nine <laughs> that's actually, a different I'm, I'm not gonna elaborate on it but like that's actually one of my favorite episodes of the whole show yes release and, yes yeah and you know it's and and on the other hand, I could totally live without Sunshine Days. That episode could be like gone from the show, and I'll be fine. You know, it could have been in the show, just not where it was. Like where it was, just oh my! I yeah. Let's just you know what? Let's move it's, on. Yeah, yeah I, we I, will we'll talk, get to that. We'll, we'll talk to about this. You know, it's coming. It just to- it's gonna make me mad. You know, just so. like you know, just sign me up for Sunshine Days because as much as you don't want to talk about Blagro, I, I I actually don't want to talk about Sunshine Days, but I really want to talk about Sunshine Days. Yeah, oh yeah. Because oh god, well, that that'll be something to look forward to to, uh, to ring in 2016. Be... <laughs> yeah, it'll be next time. All right. So, anything else on All Souls? <laughs> I mean, I actually, I mean, I had some of the same insights about it as you did also because yeah. I was raised Catholic. Yeah. Um, and ironically enough, we've, we've, you know, weaved ourselves into finding, you know, beliefs that are pretty similar now. Um, 
but what I find for me, what from this episode, what I it really, you know, it's as much as I really didn't fit well with being Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always, you know, that tendency as much as, you know, you know, this was, you know, the teleplay was written by Frank and the story comes from, you know, other people. Um, I, I mean, I always found myself trying to understand why all Catholic stories always have to end up, you know, telling me of the devil. I mean, there's never... You know, this Catholic story that I am hearing that, you know, it's taking a positive outlook or have or delving into a different fear or, you know, it, it's always that almost it's almost a caricature of yeah. what devils are. And, you know, we, we have a whole show that talks about human devils. And and then when you tackle a religion devil being that, you know, there's so many other aspects in the Bible and all the stuff that are actually evil. <laughs> Why do we have to go for, like, the horn beast and all this stuff and, you know, mm-hmm. something that is so cliche. And for me, that was why I've, the episode, even though I don't particularly think it's it's the worst of the show or that I would watch it, I, I feel it's not well done because of that. I, I feel yeah. like yeah. it it could have been now that I have an idea right now of how to shift well, like, it around. I, I liked Revelations better. Yeah, in that sense. Yeah. 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 I think that's the thing though, when you're doing, you know, these religious sort of stories, it's so easy to just do the black and white good versus evil because yeah. at the end of the day that's what, you know, Christianity is. It's you know, it's those two opposite ends of the spectrum. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why it's easy to go down that route. Um, you know, talk, talking about that and talking about, oh, it's not the priest that you think, it's the other guy. I think that Signs and Wonders you know, plays on yeah. that so much better right. than this They do that way better. Yes, definitely. I have a story for Signs and Wonders, so sign me up for Signs and Wonders. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually ended up talk, I ended up working with the priest from that episode he's actually he's actually a snake handler priest and like in real life oh really yeah so i got stories so she's got stories we'll pencil her in <laughs> <laughs> okay so all right next up we have pine bluff variant I love this episode uh, so much. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It, I no, love it so much. It's awesome. It you know, it's another one of those ones which is actually a movie. It's not just Yes. It's not just the whole you know, every episode is like a movie. This one is an actual no, movie. No, it's and, literally like a movie. And I think I maybe have been a little vocal in past episodes saying that I'm not the world's biggest John Scheiben fan, but this is <laughs> his best episode by far. This is phenomenal. I love Pine Bluff variant. I love, 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 love it. I and, mean, I love it. Uh, just before we get into the discussion, I just want to point out, point out that this episode fulfills the X-Files obligation to have a, pa- a paranoid thriller at the end of every <laughs> season. We had Anasazi <laughs> in season two, Wet Wide in season three, Demons in season four, 
boom, Pine Bluff variant in season five. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Pine Bluff variant is so... It, when I see the episode title, the very first thing I think of is um, Scully jumping out of that van. I mean, she just like comes tearing out of that van to go <laughs> run after Mulder to see... Um, the, I like that Mulder has to keep such a big secret from Scully. And I like that she is determined to find out what he's keeping from her. It's interesting um, that Mulder yeah. went to Skinner rather than go to her. Yeah. When we I, get I that think, revelation. Yeah, I think he's trying to keep her out of it. Um, and I think that when she... You know, when she tries to confront him, uh, when she sees on the video that he actually did end up helping a terrorist, uh, and she's trying to confront him about it, she knows something's wrong because he's being very standoffish and he just keeps, you know, kind of ignoring it. And, you know, of course, so she shows up at his apartment and his reaction to her showing up, he's, I mean, he's furious, but not like, I mean, he's, he, it's almost like he's fearful. You know, like he doesn't want her to be anywhere near what's going on. And that's when she has to admit that, um, you know, Skinner, of course, told her what was happening because, you know, of course, she gets picked up when trying to follow them. Um, but, you know, it's just that whole dynamic of trust and distrust between the two. And, um, you know, she's wanting to help him, but not ratting him out at the same time. Like when they pull, when the guy's like, you know, go to get her, and, and she's, what does she say to them? Something like, you know, or asking them something, or where, who are you guys with? You know, and they don't respond to her, and she says, obviously not with the Office of Information. <laughs> you know, I mean, she, even when they pull her into the room where they're talking to her and Skinner's there, she will not admit what it was she was doing. Like, she will not admit that, you know, she thinks Mulder has gone rogue and all these things, and you know, Skinner has to finally tell her, look, we know we sent him to do this. Um, you know, of course, then she's concerned for his safety because he doesn't have his partner with him and he doesn't have backup. And so she goes to his apartment. And then, of course, you have the lovely shipper moment where his you know, fingers have been broken. Fingers have been broken because he's been tortured. And you know, she's getting ice and all this stuff. And it's I don't know. It's it's it is such a fantastic episode and that's that's just all like the Mulder Scully moment so far that I've talked about. That's not even like that's not even the whole uh, bank robbery aspect. The fact that people are spraying money with you know a toxin that can kill people. The fact that they're testing it on American citizens. I mean, that's it is such a well-rounded. It it's it's a film. I mean, it's so well-rounded as a story that it's not. It can't possibly just be a TV episode. No, it's just so densely plotted. I mean. You know, yeah. if you wrote down every little thing that happens in this, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the, in this yeah. one single episode, you know, with the, the movie theater and everybody dying there. And then you have the bank robbery. Yeah. Like you said, you have that torture yeah. scene that you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff that happens. Yeah. It's it just, it's such a compelling episode and it just does not let up from the moment you, you dropped right into the middle of this whole surveillance uh -huh. thing and... You know, they've obviously been on this case for a while now and Mulder's already sort of undercover. You know, you, you dropped right into the middle of it and it just does not let up right until the end. And I love that it's she... Also, it's also the fact that uh, 
whenever you have something like this that it's not exactly an X-File per se. Yeah. But that is really, that could happen. And that, yeah, it's super believable. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that it's something that now now even it's like without question it could very well be happening right now it it's a lot more scarier than someone telling you oh yeah you're gonna run into yeah. a mutant somewhere or you're gonna you know be visited by et or whatever so for me that's why this episode was actually one of the most solid episodes of the show it was because it it's it's grounded on all that you know um all that background that Chris Carter and and everyone brought in as references for the show, like all the person's men and all the stuff that, you know, that he's continuously, you know, quoted that inspired him to bring to the show. But also, as much as you know, like John Scheib and, um, and having gone to AFI myself, this is something that it's, you know, it's kind of like trademark how they teach the screenwriting program there and back then I saw the episode and I wasn't even thinking of going to grad school there but now that I'm done with the program I can see so many things that for like people that are part of that community it's like so so many like easter eggs for us that are very welcoming for me now that I watch it and this is the one that I actually saw today because like the others I had to skip through this is so it's so very mm -hmm you know, welcoming for me, even though it's, like, all angsty and you so Yeah. Like, <laughs> I love it. I love that she IDs him in the end by his, uh, the brace on his the finger. Brace. Yeah. It's just, it's it's great. I mean, from start to finish, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It is. It is. I do really love this episode, and it just, it's one of those ones that, you know, you just can't look away from whenever it's on. It, it, you just yeah. you instantly... You just get into it wherever it, you're flicking through different channels and you're just coming halfway through or whatever it is this is one that you just have to sit and watch because it does just captivate you yeah um it's also a really good episode to play hey it's that guy because there's quite a few familiar faces in this episode yeah. as well um probably the one that got me and i was kept watching it and i was trying to place him is the guy who plays the u.s attorney uh, the actor's name is um, Sam Anderson. I don't know if either of you can pull up a picture of him right now. He wasn't. He was in Forrest Gump, right? He may have been. I recognized him from Lost. Yeah, he, he was in Forrest Gump, and actually, he was an actor that was early on. I heard a lot that he was being tapped to be on the revival. And um, he has a Millennium too. It looks like yeah. He was in ER. I'm, he was Bernard in Lost. That's where I recognized him from, you know, rewatching it right. this week. Um, and the reason I'm mentioning that is just it's another case of saying, sorry, Lost fans, we had him first. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's got a long list of credits. He's in Everybody Loves Raymond, Friends, Ali McBeal. He's been in Castle, apparently. He was the principal in Castle. Which yeah. I, I still have not seen, but... Uh, that was actually a good episode. He hated Castle because he put a cow on the roof of the school. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Doesn't really mean anything to me. <laughs> it should. I mean, the X-Files has cows everywhere. 
They're always taking out cows. In fact, that that episode has so many X-Files references. The guy that is prepping for the ball that's going to happen in that school, it's painting all the all the light bulbs uh, cerulean blue. And the, <laughs> there's a, a psychokinetic kid that manipulates everything. And, yeah, you need to watch it. <laughs> You'll have to give well, me a list one of these days, yeah. and I'll, I'll try and get through like a handful of them. Uh, but the guy who plays August Bremner, the uh, leader of the New Spartans, he was actually the forest ranger back in Jersey Devil. Mm-hmm. And the other one I have cast member I wanted to call out was the girl in the, uh, the usherette in the movie theater, Tom uh, Braidwood's daughter. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> it's my little casting roundup <laughs> this episode. <laughs> On then to Folly Adder. Folly Adder. A madness shared by two. This is an episode which I know is a big fan favourite. I know loads uh, yeah. of people love this episode. and I like it too, but I just want to... Don't I, you dare. I want to open with this. The structure of this episode has always bugged me. Just... <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> not intended you, you can't damn this you it has one of the most we, speaking of quotes earlier, i'm not it has, i'm not i'm not damning it i'm just saying okay just and maybe it's because it comes right after pine bluffarian where everything is just yeah. so meticulously plotted and yeah this you know, one's kind of thrown I don't think no, no, I don't think it's thrown together, and it's Vince Gilligan who I love, but it's just the structure of it just seems kind of weird. In that, you know, the the case in this one is the the guy who takes everybody hostage at the call center, and that's dealt with Mm. pretty quickly. (laughs) And then you have Mulder sort of going off, and he's going crazy about it, and then he's put into the psych ward and stuff. And I don't know, it's just the Maybe watching it, you know, with the ad breaks in place, maybe it kind of flows a little better or something. Maybe there are those distinct act breaks where act one is about this, act two is about this, and maybe it works a bit better that way. But I don't know, just something about the structure of the story, it always kind of feels a little bit off kilter to me. But uh, it's still a good episode. I don't want, I'm not trying to say anything negative about it. It's just the structure of it. it has one of the greatest lines ever uttered in an X-Files episode ever. You must have seen this coming. No, it, it's... Well, yeah, that. But after that, when, you know, he's telling her that she has to believe him. You know, because nobody, no one else is believing him. And he's like, you you know, you have to believe me. You're my one in five billion. That's That's... I mean, that's the one thing I remember this episode for. And then I remember all, like, the zombies. Of zombie course it is. <laughs> yeah, right? And then I remember the bugs and the zombie people and the hostage situation. And of course, it's always kind of sexy when Mulder's taking hostage and, you know, Scully's kind of like trying to, you know, get in all worried and trying to help out. I mean, it's, you know, it's nice. I I like this episode because um, what I like, honestly, about it is she's such a non-believer. You know what I mean? She just can't. She even in the movie she will not admit that she has seen something that is paranormal. But in this episode, 
she truly does not believe. She truly is concerned for Mulder's, you know, mental health. But in the end, she sees what he sees. And it's how she ends up saving his life. Um, you know, of course, she excuses it in the end by saying, oh, it was, you know, it's folly I do. You know, I mean, it's just kind of, oh, we were both mad and none of that really happened. But, um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I like it. It for being an episode about a guy that turns into a bug and like kills people with his like bug proboscis things and they turn into zombies. And I mean, I, it was pretty solid for what it was about, I felt. Avi? Um, I'm with you on the structure part. That okay, I good. Felt... It's not <laughs> folly or do. <laughs> yeah. I I I kind of feel like uh, while I would I was in the middle of the episode, I actually expected it to end before, and it was like kind of in the middle. Um, yeah, yeah. Instead of like, oh, this could have been a decent resolution. No, it, it kind done. of slow. It slows there, yeah. and and then but then it keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where I've found myself referencing this episode more times than I care to think about because, you know, everyone has that moment where you hate your job that you're just like, yeah, everyone is out to get me here. But, like, you uh-huh. know, I, I won't say which company. But, um, <laughs> um, but... Just like, you know, agreeing with Tiffany, I mean, this is one of the most famous, even though right now it's not no longer five billion, but seven billion. Um, it really ages the show, I know. <laughs> <laughs> also Well you have that you have that speech in Travelers as well. Yeah. We're on, we're on the age of condoms and and contraceptives and all this shit and we still managed to add up two billion people between from this like, episode 95 until today like what the fuck guys really yeah but <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm just saying i mean we we're either doing contraception really wrong or we're really doing you know a palliative care what really. what avi's trying to say is not enough people are dying like old people are living longer, which, which is, is causing which more is people fine to be in me, Which is fine by me because I'm past thirty and I still think I'm twenty something. So. so, so basically, you're you're making an argument for Scully sending the little girl after her death at the end uh, of All Souls. That uh, was that's yeah. actually a heroic thing to do. Yeah, it's time to, <laughs> time to go. Someone else needs the space. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm. We can we can talk about like that for hours. It's just not the point. Really, <laughs> <laughs> it's not even the point of the episode. But, <laughs> but I mean, that just occurred to me. Is like, how did we manage to add two billion people in just a short amount of time? And before that, there there was just like that much time. Yeah. There's something really wrong in this picture, but. And um, and I'm th- I'm probably making a case for all the people that want to adopt instead of uh, having a kid. Um, but I also like from this episode because for some I don't know why it always reminded me of Dwayne Barry, and and I keep 
Um, it's the hostage can, scene. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. The same way that it was shot, I suppose, but it always reminded me that it was like kind of in the same vein, kind of like the same attitude. They were both you know? in, um, they're both in like office buildings too. Yeah. They're both in very similar looking sets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But and, a tank and, comes through the wall here. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that Scully autopsies the dude. And she's like, oh, Mulder's so crazy. And and the guy, the tech or whatever is like, oh, he's been dead for 48 to 72 hours. She's like, what? No. That's, no, that's not right. He died 24 hours ago. <laughs> yeah. But, you and, know. Uh, it, it's an episode that it's actually pretty enjoyable for me. I feel yeah. like it plays with a lot of the I paranoia like people have. Um, and Mulder's also- a smartass, like, even as a hostage. Yeah. So... Final episode of season five, the end. I'm going to give you some context as to my first viewing of this episode. Um, obviously, the movie was coming out the summer after season five ended in the States. I was still back in the UK and didn't have Sky, didn't have satellite. So I had seen up to the end of season four. I'm not sure if I'd even seen the beginning of season five. But the VHS of the end came out before the movie and it was, you know, obviously marketed as the the last X-Files episode before the movie. So, of course, I wanted to see it before I went to see the movie. And, of course, I ended up watching the end and thinking, OK, so the movie's going to have something to do with this kid who can read minds. There's going to be this spender guy <laughs> and Fowley in the movie. <laughs> nope. Uh. <laughs> So that is my context for watching it and not having seen most of season five previous. I've probably seen maybe the the Redux trilogy. But uh, so this episode is a big one. We have a lot of people coming back in. And it's probably sad to think that this is um, the last time that John Neville ever shot a scene for the X-Files. Because, of course, he had died a year earlier, but we hadn't seen that yet. Um, But we have... uh, all of the people from the syndicate, you know, Krychek is back. Um, shockingly, cigarette smoking man is yeah. not dead. Who saw Apparently that? Apparently, we're about to see it coming again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to talk about that opening with cigarette smoking man and Krychek in the snow up in Canada, and it is <laughs> the most James Bond thing that the X Files has ever done. Yeah. <laughs> the people yeah. coming down their parachutes and running through the snow, and yes, nice little. <laughs> action sequence there to start us off so where do we go with this episode um there's so much stuff that happens here obviously we're setting the groundwork for a new era of uh, the mythology which doesn't really get addressed in the movie as i was saying but it does set the groundwork for season six onwards where you have gibson praise who can read minds sets in motion the idea of he's more human than human and that humans and aliens even though we're trying to even though the uh, syndicate is trying to get the alien-human hybrid program going, that there may actually be some sort of connection between humans and aliens anyway, and that's something that gets explored in a lot more detail with biogenesis and the sixth extinction. Um, there's a lot of different things you know, sort of coming in that way, and obviously we have the character of Diana Fowley introduced, who may or may not, but most probably was Mulder's yeah, ex-wife. Yeah, I'd say that's... Um, we tiptoed around that a little bit earlier. I'd say that's highly um, likely. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's looking like it, isn't it? Especially by the time we get to Six Extinction (laughs) 2, your favourite episode. I feel like, I mean, this episode for me, just like you said, it has so many things. But um, it's also, from the production standpoint, it's it's the end of an era in Vancouver. So it was amazing what they pulled off for, you know, you know, gathering the whole chess play scenario and all these people there. And, and it was just really spectacular. And as much as, you know, um, the other previous episodes leading up to this are, are, have been ramping up on what to expect from story, this one delivers, you know, a really solid, not a segue, but a solid base for what's coming now that we're moving on to a movie and now that we're moving on to a new era where you know so many other things are being expected with the show moving to LA the other thing that I really appreciate from this episode is that just like you said it's like you know the the bond aspect of it but it's also that you know that sense that you know the syndicate is not just these dudes sitting smoking cigarettes <laughs> in some room in New York, it's 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 people that actually take action. It's people that actually are threatening for a reason, and that will not stop at some boy, you know. And that and, and they're not, you know, some grandpa somewhere. And that they're actually people that you have to fear. And it's not all. I mean, they they go and follow through in most of the threats that they come up during the during the season and during the episode at at the end, you know, resulting with the the office setting on fire. Uh, which was something that you know, so many times on the X Files I, 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 I asked myself, it was like, well, you know, is it really that hard to go and, you know, destroy the X-Files or just, like, rob everything from the X-Files or just, like, kill Mulder. And, and so many other things that were said during the show. It's like, oh, well, you kill Mulder, you, you know, turn someone's does into a crusade or you kill that and, and you, you know, it's really, is it really? Because at the end of the day, during this episode, what I learned is that, well, we just really like to tease. We just really like to tease you. We just really like to, you know, play cat and mouse with you and see how far will you go. And that's what was really interesting for me. Yeah. I like how everyone's interests in this episode, from Fowley's to Scully's to Mulder's to Spender's to Cancer Man's, is kind of explored a bit. Um, You know, Cancer Man says at one point to... I guess while manicured man, we or no, it's, it was to Struggled where they're talking to him, and uh, he has a line where he says, "You think you know my interest?" As in, well, yeah, okay, I've come back from supposedly the dead, and yes, I've been a part of your group, but don't think that you know me. You know what I mean? Don't think that my interests are exactly aligned with yours, because it's clear that even though Cancer Man has kind of been a part of this group, he's also very capable of going rogue. And has in the past many times. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to have his part in this explored a bit, at, which of course culminates with him, um, you know, finding as he's, of course, he's set fire to the X Files, and as he's trying to leave the FBI as if nothing ever happened, 
uh, runs into his other son, Jeffrey Spender, and then drops the, you know, the bomb of, you know, I'm your father. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, it's, I like that it kind of explores everybody, you know, and it explores Spender. Mulder is so angry at him, but Spender doesn't know anything. Like, he doesn't, he has no knowledge, he has no, Mulder puts way too much stock in the fact that Jeffrey is capable of doing anything. You know, so that, that relationship is obviously very strained. And then you have Fally, like, waltzing back after, you know, however many years. Um, and it's interesting that Mulder's trying to figure out, you know, how does he juggle both of these women? And, um, but when they both come in to see Gibson, Mulder introduces Scully first. You know, it's like he, clearly through the episode, he's trying to do this kind of juggling act, but he's, he's leaning toward and talking with and kind of, you know, Scully is kind of winning in so much as that struggle between these two women. Um, you know, even though she, and of course at this point she doesn't even know who Fowley is. It's not until later, um, when I think she says, or when Mulder says to Diana in the hallway after he and Scully have kind of argued, um, cause Diana steps in as Mulder and Scully are doing their thing where they're kind of building theory together. Diana steps in and then, you know, Mulder says, well, go do this, this, and this, you know, you know what to do, Diana. And then it dawns on Scully, oh, you two know each other. You know, and that that's when Fowley's like, oh, it was a long time ago, you know. Yeah. Um, but you have Scully acting very jealous and very hurt after that. And then you have Diana, who kind of feels like she has the upper hand, and she's telling Mulder, oh, well, wouldn't it have been so nice if I'd stayed? You know, and, and you had someone that really kind of believed in your work and had a background in parascience and all this. And that's when he kind of shuts her down with, you know, oh, he realizes you're talking about Scully. He's like, well, she's a scientist. She just makes me work for everything. Yeah, and he has to keep knocking her back several times in that conversation. It's a very interesting dynamic that's building between Diana and Scully. And, of course, Mulder's kind of like when Gibson um, announces, you know, that that both women are thinking about him. And Mm -hmm. Diana, Diana says, which one? You know, the look on Mulder's face, and Gibson says it all. He doesn't want me to say. Yeah. Dude just wants to go home watch Baywatch. Yeah, like, he doesn't, you know, and there's there's a connection in this episode between Gibson and Scully that's very interesting. And I think even Diana sees it. Like, she's witnessing, when she comes into the hotel room, she sees the way that Scully is talking to the child, and... um, you don't really know what she's thinking about it at this point, but there's definitely, you know, he's definitely connected more with Scully than, than he is with Diana. Um, you know, and, and I don't know, I just, I find that interesting that she's talking to him as if he's a child on the one hand, but at the same time listening to him talking very much like an adult. And it's not really until he kind of turns around when she's getting ready to leave, because it's Diana's shift, where he kind of turns around and says, they want to kill me, you know. That's kind of the first childlike thing that he says. Um, of course, and Scully spins around and, and makes her whole promise that she does to him several times after this, that no harm will, you know, will come to him. So, I find interesting, though, is that we don't, I mean, 
we only get to see uh, Gibson just so many times during the show. Mm-hmm. And, of course, right now discussing the show, not discussing the comic books. But um, I feel like it would have been so much, so interesting to explore how this kid is not really a kid. Um, yeah. Because, just like you said, it's like this comment is the first one that actually comes out as a kid, kind of like, you know, offhandedly kind of, you know, not quite seeing the impact of his words, but yeah. really actually he does. And only that he has an appreciation for it. that, you know, the, the fact of his death is different than what we give to it. Um, and I would have liked to see, you know, what really happens to these kids because we don't get to see what happens to Samantha. We don't get to see what happened to Jeffrey while he was with Samantha. Mm-hmm. We don't get to see what happens to Gibson. And these are like, you know, and, and I wonder why we never actually do visit that time. We visited, you know, just now we talked about travelers and, and we went back in time and saw this reality, but we actually never get to see, you know, the point of view of these kids. And I wonder if, if it was intentional, if it was that the writers didn't feel confident enough to write from the point of view of a kid that's been so damaged, if it was something that censors would not let it go through because you wouldn't be able to portray these kids as kids. So it wouldn't be a you know, mm-hmm. young adult episode. It would actually have to be a very dark episode where you know, kids are being tortured and kids are you know, having all this reality happen to them. Yeah. But that would have been, I don't, and I don't even know if today it would be something that you can get away with. I think, to, I, I think today maybe you could. I think back then it would have been hard. But it had those types of episodes happened, it would have added such an amazing new layer to this show. I really wish that more of that type of thing could have been done. Um, because otherwise you're just kind of revisiting it. You're like, oh, there's Samantha or, oh, there's, it's just not, you're, you're not brought into it in a way that makes you feel, I mean, what happened to Samantha? And of course you, you see the episode, you know, where, where she comes back and of course Mulder is able to, you know, hug her spirit and whatnot, but that really glosses over and, and really kind of lightens up what actually happened to this child. And you, and you feel empathy for her because of Mulder's description of their life together. Even yeah. when it wasn't perfect and it was quirky and, you know, it was, it was kind of a real relationship with, between a sister yeah. and a brother. But, I mean, it's really hard. And for, for me, it happened whenever Samantha comes back early mm-hmm. on, you know, as a clone and whatever. I yeah. really had no empathy for her. I mean, yeah. even though yeah. I knew that in some way Mulder could be feeling that this was his sister and that, you know, he had all those memories of growing up together, um, I really felt nothing for her because yeah, I it, agree. It, just, it was kind of, you know, just a placeholder for someone. And when it's always been that way. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. always been that way with Samantha. I think most X-Files fans uh, that... I honestly think most people would agree with that, that, you know, Samantha's just, it's just, she's just a picture. She's just a picture on a Mulder's desk. That's really all 
you know, the clones aren't even the real deal. You know, and, and then his yeah. visions of her when she comes back, you know, when he finds out what's happened, that's not even really the real deal. That's good, too. Whereas, you know, you know Gibson, is, it's, more, it's more of a flesh and blood kind of a thing, but yes. at the same time, give me more, you know. Yeah. I, I, I'm, which is something that, I mean, it's kind of like going astray again, but, like, it's something that's happening on, on the IDW comics that... Uh, you know, Gibson has such a yeah. central spotlight, and I think it's fun. Um, I might wonder if in my wildest fantasies, like where you know, X Files spawn other things other than revivals, if we could have yeah. things like that, you know. Well, and even Fowley, like everyone loves to hate Diana Fowley, myself included, but honestly, Diana Fowley is, is not a, a bad guy, she's not on the wrong side in this. She very much is courting kind of both sides because she's kind of been positioned in, in a way that she has to. But she, as we know, of course, by, what, season seven, she's not on the wrong side. I mean, she does sacrifice to get Mulder what he needs and, um, you know, and, and ends up saving his, a combination of her and, of course, Scully end up saving his life. So, but I mean, does uh, she really sacrifice? Does she think that she could play that card and get away with it? I because think, that's, I mean, yeah. that's my take. I feel like she felt confident that she had enough pull within the syndicate to pull something like that and be okay, and it backfired on her. Oh, to pull I, getting him out of there. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I I don't like Fally. I really don't. But I think or at least my take on her character is that in the end she determines that Mulder is more important than what she's doing with Cancer Man and she's she's very disgusted by what Cancer Man is doing in that episode. She does not like that you know cuz she makes several comments of course now we've gone like uh, skipped ahead two seasons but she makes the she makes comments about the fact that how can he do this to his son. So I think that she while she may have been a very negative player here in the end and moving forward, I think by um, I think by season seven that stops, and and she and she pays the price for it. I don't think she's like altruistic though. She's completely driven by her own selfishness. I don't think she's want to save Mold because that's the right thing to do. It's because yeah, well, she has feelings yeah. for him still. Yeah. Um, that that has always been my reading of it. That you know, it's not so much that she feels she can get away with this. It's just she's going to do what she wants to do, and she doesn't want to see Mulder being treated like that. And so she's going to yeah. step in and help out on that occasion. She, you know, you have an interesting dynamic here. Now that you know, going back and watching it and knowing the context and seeing, you know, the four years of of X Files that go after this, you know, just that. That one scene where um, Skinner invites Mulder up to Spender's <laughs> task force and they're watching the videotape and she sees him come in the room and he starts doing his whole thing about yeah. if you can pause the tape and go back sort of thing and she's watching him and he has no idea that she's there and just that, just the look on her face and you can kind of already see what's uh, the sort of status of that relationship between them that there's 
something there, there's some sort of history, because she's waiting, biding her time before she opens her mouth, and she knows that he's going to suddenly yeah. realise that she's in the room, and very interesting sort of power. Yeah, well, I mean, she's very manipulative, and I think that, I mean, she was, she didn't, I don't think she, she didn't come back, from my understanding, and at least my read on it, she didn't come back of her own accord just because she wanted to be with him. I mean, she was placed back into his sphere. So, you know, she's very manipulative at this point, you know, coming right back into his life. It makes you and he she was there yeah. when he discovered the X Files. They say so. You know, it kind of interests me. I don't know if this gets clarified later on, but kind of, you know, she obviously seems to have an interest in all of that yeah. paranormal sort of stuff as well, and she says it, it in this episode. So it's kind of interesting that she was there when he discovered the X Files, but yet yeah. she went off and did something else and. You know, just be nice to find out a little bit more about what actually went on there. But uh, um, <laughs> I want to talk about the the fire of the office. Obviously, you know that's a scene that obviously devastated everybody. So. And so, of course, <laughs> in in Fox's infinite wisdom, they made that like the December page <laughs> yeah. of the calendar that year. I think. <laughs> so you're yeah. toasting. Merry Christmas. Roasting by the fire. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it, it struck me today that um, watching it, you know, that Mulder. You know, uh, we had that whole scene with Skinner at the beginning, and saying to Mulder, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah. Well, I see myself in the Files and stuff, and they they build that up. <laughs> they build it up of how important, <laughs> yeah, exactly, of how important the X Files is to him, and yet at the end of this episode, it's destroyed by fire which is yeah. what we know is Mulder's mm. number one fear from back in the episode of fire and of course that's the episode that introduced us to his <laughs> former flame but I'm bomb you're full of puns uh, today <laughs> Phoebe Green and I don't know if that is like a a conscious thing on Chris's part in writing these episodes just sort of you have that little connection between the right. f- from the fire and his fear of fire going back to that episode with Phoebe and and then we have Fowley introduced here. That's where mine was. My mind was yeah. going rewatching this today. <laughs> add a little bit more context, um, maybe. I, I don't know if scene. it was that purposeful. Um, no, I'm, I'm sure I, it wasn't. Yeah, but, uh, I I like the fact <laughs> that the production came up with a very creative way to deal with the fact that they were having to move offices and. What better way yes. <laughs> for your production designer to determine, well, how how are we going to make the new X-Files office look identical to the one that was under, you know, a, a totally different crew in a complete, in a different country? And how do we make it look exactly the same? Well, if you set it on fire, you don't have to make it look the same. You can just, you know, kind of rebuild, from, you know, have Mulder rebuild from there. So... It was an interesting way, I think, that the production was able to get around trying to make the office identical. I mean, obviously the office is the same, but trying to make all of the dress, all the set dressing look exactly the same. They didn't have that problem this time. And then, of course, the, you know, the fire at the end is just every time I watch that episode and see that scene... It's just, and Dave and I were talking about this earlier, where I told him, I said, it just guts me every 
time, you know? And he's like, yeah, like, go to the X-Files office. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's just, it's a very powerful scene. It's powerful imagery. Um, you know, you have Scully really not knowing what to do. So she just kind of, you know, anchors herself to him and, you know, leans her head on his chest and that's it. I mean, after that, we have the wait for the movie. But not only that, I feel like, I mean, past, you know, playing with all these pawns and all this stuff, I feel like this was done, you know, in a way that they knew how to play the perfect buttons, that they knew that they might not be killing Mulder, but they might be killing his spirit because, you know, there's a very fine line between, oh, I'm going to be dead or mine to come back with, like, whatever I can find from the X-Files, but, like, they managed to, you know, tease him enough into the wrong side of, you know, the coin where, you know, he could have lost it there. Yeah. You know, he could have totally gone, like, fuck this shit. I'm, I'm not, I mean, he's not getting shot in the head, but he's getting shot in the heart, which is pretty much worse. And yeah. at that point, they're taking away also his partnership in some way, which is also not killing Scully, but taking away whatever he was doing with her. So, you know, it's dismembering his life in every sense of the way and, and, and doing so without actually pulling the trigger. So yeah. it's, it's, it's benching him in the most cruel way that they could find. Um, and that's, that, I think that's the true power of that last scene, you know, seeing how they don't need to, you know, utter a word, but they can, like, diminish everything that you've done in your life, you know, and yeah. just light up a fire. Well, and what's interesting is they determine after they do this that it's not enough. You know, and, and then, you know, in this episode, they go for his work, his files. In the movie, they're going to go after his partner. And so I, I find it interesting that it jumps from, you know, they think that this will destroy him, that this will, you know, take away his drive and everything else. And, you know, in a lot of ways, The X-Files has meant more to him than a lot of things. But then you get into the movie and... Now, you know, his his drive has, is somewhat still there, and they determine that, okay, well, burning the files is clearly not enough. The only other thing they have left to take is her. So. I mean, they could, they could kill him, but then, you know. Yeah. I suppose that. Yeah. Every other day, the, the cigarette smoking man, man yeah, yeah, he gets a pang. He gets a pang of guilt, and you know he's like, "Ah, oh, yeah. well, you know, I might actually, you know, go to hell. I might not want to find out what that is." Yeah, or whatever. But like, yeah, do you? I mean, that, that's a question up to you. I mean, do you really think that whatever kept Fox Mulder alive all those years was solely? you know, his influence. I think it had to have been. I mean, I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't just kill him. You know? But, I mean, he, he was so, you know, not worried about torturing Jeffrey. Yeah, Jeffrey's like a little shit, though. I mean, he's just... <laughs> <laughs> 
like he's like the runt of the litter. He's like not even I don't know. Jeffrey, what does Scully call him? A weasel. Jeffrey's a yeah. weasel. Yeah. So, like, Mul- it, it does beg the question, you know, rather than just shoot Mulder in the head, he just takes all Mulder's toys away, in- including, you know, his future baby mama. But with Jeffrey, he just shoots him in the face. <laughs> so, that's kind of, yeah, that's not very equal parenting. Well, I mean, I, and I don't even know where the contempt against, you know, Jeffrey comes from, because, I, I mean, all we see... Besides the fact that he's nosy as hell, is that he really wants to protect his mom. I think, um, and he and and yeah. he protects her under yeah. the the same standards that he you know, does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not saying, "Oh, I'm protecting her from you know," because I know that all these things are true. No, I think she's crazy. I and, feel and like this is something that you know she, he's taking from Spender. So yeah. I mean, in some ways, he's like kind of trying to agree with both of them you know i'm gonna protect you 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 don't really don't know what and and he's trying to appease him and he never actually you know lived up to his standards and yeah i, I think Mulder did i think that i think that you hit the nail exactly on the head i think spender was weak to him and i think Mulder was the one that lived up to his standards and I think that was the reason for the inequality of being in a douche to one and not the other. What's totally funny, though, is that whenever Fox Mulder cried, he looked really terrible. Yet I am still waiting for Jeffrey Spender to cry, at least on camera. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, if you want to compare them both <laughs> from the <laughs> point of view of a, a father who's maybe proud of one but not the other, I mean, I guess you have. You could say that, you know, Mulder is an abstract thinker, you know, somebody who has a bit of an imagination who who can connect the dots and stuff, whereas Bendo is just a stickler for doing things by the book as he has been told this is how you get stuff done, whereas, you know, Mulder doesn't accept that and he goes out and he gets the job done whatever it takes sort of thing and i guess that's yeah what cigarette smoking man has done throughout his own career and you know if he himself you know actually is a writer you know he has that sense of imagination too that uh that maybe Mulder does that has led him to this fascination with the x-files i think he sees himself in Mulder. yeah i i think that um i i think that he doesn't see himself in Jeffrey. Well, it's also that deleted scene from um, from Closure, where it was all about how Cigarette Smoking Man was really not very proud of Spender because he just couldn't water ski <laughs> and he was just an embarrassment to the yeah. family. And <laughs> okay, um, I think we've covered a lot in this one. We've we've already mentioned this is the final episode filmed in vancouver it was the final episode directed by bob goodwin um and i probably knew this already but it sort of refreshed my memory uh preparing for this podcast that you know originally exiles was intended to end at the end of the fifth season they'd filmed the movie between seasons four and five to be released after season five and the plan was always that's when the show ends and this is when we'll spin it off into a series of movies. 
But, of course, with that point, the show had become so lucrative for Fox, they wanted to extend it, and uh, I think they renewed it for two seasons, up to the end of season seven, which, of course, is when we know it actually did end. But I guess that that's why we then moved from Vancouver to L.A. That must have been part of David's contract renewals, is that let's move the show if we're going to keep on doing it for another two years. Yeah. (laughs) Anything to add on that? I mean, the thing is that... (laughs) I mean, if the X-Files had been something like Breaking Bad that had been planned from the beginning to end, at the very beginning, I would have said, oh, well, yeah, I mean, extending it was a mistake. But the fact of the matter is that Chris Carter never intended for the show to be drawn out like that. Um, and and that became his method. Um, whether, you know, it worked or not, I feel like extending past the movie wasn't a mistake. I feel like there, and still there are so many other stories that you you can talk about on the X-Files. Um, I don't particularly feel like the show lost too much by moving mm-hmm. to L.A. I feel that, you know, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to fandom and when it comes to, you know, how people deal with, uh, with thinking outside the story. You know, whenever you get clouded by those aspects outside the story, then things get, get really tricky inside the story. But I feel like there wasn't enough for the show to end on the end uh, I don't think that, um, and I don't know, I mean, it hasn't worked out that extending the X-Files just based on movies, it's, it's a good idea, even though I campaigned for it for eight years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it is, it's a good idea on paper. I feel like after the response that the revival has had and how much you're going to get, or we hope that you're going to get with six episodes. Yeah. I feel like it's a better decision. It's, it's uh, per, like, uh, as a producer, I feel like it's money, you know, spent better than in five weeks of, you know, just two hours of a product. Um, and then story-wise, it's, you know, it's incredibly <laughs> just more. So... I I mean, I do believe, though, that when we hit season seven, it was kind of a moment where it was a, you know, fork on the road. And I don't know what the scenario would have been had, you know, David stayed for an eight or nine or ten season even. Um and I, I mean, I, I can't imagine a show without, you know, Robert Patrick and Annabeth Gish. But it's, it's one of those things where I feel like the only thing that I actually think for that I feel like it, it was different when they were in Vancouver is that they were so much apart from the noise that working in L.A. brings to you. Because you're more aware of what the business is, of what the numbers are, what happened on TV last night. 
And when they were in Vancouver, they were kind of isolated yeah. from that show business deal on top of them. So that's the one thing I can actually agree that protected them when they were there. But that's my take. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you said about the the fact that you know the series of movies is probably not the best way to do this because you know as as much as I've loved both the movies so far and you know maybe they will do some other ones in the future you know I'm so excited about the the mini series revival because the show you know as we've discovered throughout this podcast the show is so mm-hmm. many different things to so many different people just you know the just the uh, the sheer variance in the type of episodes that we have the type of topics and stories that are told you know, when you're doing one movie every five years, there's going to be a huge amount of people who don't get the satisfaction from that particular story that they were hoping for. So doing six smaller stories, you know, maybe every other year for a little while, you know, I think that's something that's going to be a lot more satisfying to a lot more people than having one story every five or ten years. Quiz time. Question one. In Travelers, what song was playing on the record player in the German doctor's house? Okay. <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> oh my no. Gosh. No, it's not going to happen. I didn't even watch that episode today. Okay, I'm going to try <laughs> Lily Marlene. Ah. Uh... <laughs> Could have probably known that. <laughs> you, could have, you could have taken a guess. Yeah. Okay, question two. In Mind's Eye, what does the police officer tell Marty he did to the money in her purse? This is just going to be a bad week for us. <laughs> 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 Every time. Every time. <laughs> nope. No. The answer is he switched uh, the notes for 50s. Because she's like checking her purse and she's like, these better all uh, still be 20s. Uh, and she's uh, like, no, I switched them all with 50s because you're so sweet. <laughs> okay, Pine Bluff variant. What movie was playing at the movie theatre? Oh, man. It's- it says it outside. Yeah, it does. And you do actually see a clip of it. No, I'm not even gonna cheat. <laughs> no, I can't remember. And it's pitiful because I just saw this today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Close, Close Encounters? No. No. Close Encounters. It's a uh, movie that stars Samuel L. Jackson, so that should help you narrow it down. <laughs> uh, uh, hold on, hold on. No, no, hold on. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not even. I'm not even. I'm not. Tappy, I'm tappy, not. tap, tap, tap. Who I'm thinking? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even looking. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Aw, oh, what? 
I'm not only gonna I'm not only gonna lose my file card. I'm also gonna lose my tomboy card. Yeah, Abby right. would have known that one for sure. Question four from Folly Odde. What is the phrase that Mulder has Scully search for in old X-Files? Oh, hiding in the light. Yay! <laughs> yeah, that one, yeah. That one I knew. But that was because, oh, I remember now that also that episode reminds me of Darkness Falls. Yeah. For, yeah. Can you I imagine see, if the bugs that he imagined were this, like as numerous and in the size of the roaches? No. Because no. that's my reality right now. I live right next to the Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I also get snakes. They're not great. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's my fourth gum moment right now. In the end, what does the post-it note say that's stuck to Mulder's poster? You are here. Are here. That is oh. correct. Yeah. <laughs> What's the significance of that? Do you know? Um, of the no. you poster. Yeah, of the, the you are here. No, the you are here post-it note. There's a significance um, to that? I don't know. I was wondering if, I, oh. if you knew if there was any significance. I don't know. I mean, my best guess is that it's because the chess tournament is actually takes place in Vancouver. And maybe, you know, some sort of connection there that this is the oh. last episode filmed there. I don't know. Maybe. I just thought it was a weird thing for a shot to start on up close on that. But... Uh, there we go. Two out of five. Yay! It's also, it's also curious because that phrase comes back in season eight and Scaldi's theme on the Mark Snow track, you know? Because the, the, the lady keeps saying that you're here, you're here, you're here. And I wonder if it has any relation. I'm just gonna put it out there. You can you can look into that for next time. Yeah. Whenever we get to season eight and I, I, Scully crying in front of the mirror. I know that um, a bit of the music from um, the Crater Hug part of the movie score is in the end when Fowley is shot. Yep. Which is kind there of. A weird sort of thing, because it's such a classic bit of score for the Mulder and Scully relationship, and then we have it here right before the movie when Fowley is injured. It's like, what? Come on. <laughs> and, uh, we, didn't, we didn't even mention that the assassin guy from that episode was previously eaten by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> need, to, need to throw that in there. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Another franchise that made a bunch of movies and money, but whatever. <laughs> and that's our, that's our show for today. Listeners, please get in touch. Send us some more questions to discuss at the beginning of some of these future shows because these podcasts are not long enough as it is. <laughs> uh, you can get in touch with me. Go to xfilestalkxfiles.com. You can contact me through there. You can look me up on Facebook or Twitter. 
I am David T. Howard on both of those. Uh, whilst you go to my website, please click on the Amazon link. It's an affiliate link. We'll take you to Amazon. Just shop there as normal. It won't cost you anything extra. A little bit of the money you spend will come back to help support the show and pay for the files to be stored online so that you guys can download them for free. Um, Avi Tiffany, uh, how can people get in touch with you other than going to xfilesnews.com and following that on Facebook and Twitter? Yep, and you can also follow us on our personal Twitters. That's Avi Kihada, that's A-V-I-Q-U-I-J-A-D-A on Twitter. And T. Deval, that's yep. T-D-E-V-O-L on Twitter as well. So... <laughs> Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Avi, Tiffany, thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having mm-hmm. us. And right. next week we have a very, very special episode. Uh, we're going to cram as many people into the podcast as we can. We're going to talk about the first movie. So that'll be good. It's gonna basically going to be a Volkswagen Beetle with a bunch of clowns inside. Pretty That's- much. Yeah pretty much so uh hopefully that will go really well tune in next week to find out (laughs) (laughs) until then um we're all going to be locked away in a straight jacket in a mental asylum somewhere or as i like to say in the hall in this one this is gonna be <laughs> just, <laughs> just throw it all up fuck it just sorry <laughs>